0: Let me invite you to take your Bibles and go back with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 9 this morning. Ecclesiastes 9. Yesterday there were a few of us that uh, took the opportunity to travel to Pennsylvania Farm Show Complex out in Harrisburg and go to the outdoor show. Uh, Micah and I have enjoyed going to that for a few different years now. Maybe that wouldn't be your thing. Uh, but we walk around, don't usually end up buying anything, but look at, here's the newest fishing stuff or hunting stuff or outdoor stuff. And, uh, you know, along the way, there are like a couple little giveaways. And of course, you've got vendors trying to put things in your hand and go, they, they want you to see their thing. And so we were kind of just enjoying walking around, looking at everything and uh, came around a corner and there was this really uh, proactive friendly lady who sticks this orange ticket in my hand and like I'm just kind of moving along because I'm usually not the type for the sales thing so I just I'm I'm moving and uh, as I'm going around and she's putting in my hand she's like and this is for a chance to win a $250 gift card I'm like okay like and usually again in my mind I'm like that's not a big deal Um, so I look up because you know you're always on edge and nervous about scam kind of thing and whatever. Uh, and I, so I look up and I've got this orange ticket and I'm continuing to walk around. She's behind me and I'm like, it's a Cabela's booth. i like, oh, Cabela's. That's a big company. That's a trustworthy company. Like they already have my information. And so there are these iPads set out where you go and you enter your ticket number and your name and your email. And I'm thinking, well, Cabela's already has all of that. Like, I've ordered from them before. They know who I am. They send me their flyers. Like, this isn't really a big deal. So I go over to the iPad, and I start to enter my information, and I'm kind of going through the screens and all of that. And uh, I get to the screen, and it says, uh, I accept the terms and conditions. I reject the terms and conditions. Or then there's this third button down below that's kind of grayed out a little bit, and it's like, I want to read the terms and conditions. Now, I don't know how you are in life at this point, but you see so many of those. And there's such fine print that I would guess that most in this room go, yes, I accept, and never read them, right? Is that a common practice in life for you? I don't know. Maybe you waste hours and hours reading the 40 pages that follow, okay? But this time, I'm like, you know, maybe I ought to just check. And so I hit that button, like, to read it. I'm gonna be that guy standing there in all these other people flowing around, and it comes up and it says, "This is sponsored by Vacation Clubs of America." I'm like, oh, cancel! Like, I don't want this. This has nothing to do with Cabela's. I'm looking at the booth, and there is nothing anywhere that said. I don't remember if it was Vacation Clubs of America, but you get the idea. It was something like that, and I'm like. This is really deceptive. Now, as I tell that story, some of you in a room are going, Pastor, like, come on, you should have known better. I would never do anything like that. Good for you. Good for you. Most of the time, I wouldn't either. Some of you are like, yeah, I get it. I probably would have done the same thing, but it's just not worth it. I do not want to be called by the people. I come and listen to our spiel for 45 minutes, and we'll give you, like, you just don't want to deal with that, and you would land where I land. There might be some of you in a room who are like, actually, I'm in a third group altogether." And you go, what's the big deal? Just block their number. Tell them to stop calling. And you would do it for the chance to win a $250 Cabela's gift card. Regardless of what your decision would be of those three, when we come to Ecclesiastes 9 and 10, we've been told repeatedly, wisdom is your best choice. There are consequences for foolishness watch out, be on guard. And in the verse that we begin with this morning, we see even more starkly the Spirit of God through Solomon saying, sin is never worth it. Sin is never worth it. And along the way, I think we go, well, yeah, I get that. I understand that biblically. But it's interesting the context in which Solomon makes this comment about one sinner destroys much good, he hasn't been talking about sin. He's been talking about wisdom and foolishness. And you know, while we might agree, like, sin versus righteousness is very clear, there are points in life where we struggle through the difference between wisdom and foolishness. All we have to do is talk about, like, America's problem with debt and say, what does the Bible say about debt, Was wise or foolish? And we realize, actually, a lot of people debate that. And we could go to lots of other conversation points as well, but Solomon's been talking about wisdom versus foolishness, and now he comes down and goes, but get this, sin is not worth it. Stay away from it. And I hope it'll be a needed challenge, a helpful challenge in your life and in mine as we finish out Ecclesiastes 9 and move into the thoughts of Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Just briefly, I want to try to remind you of where we've been all through Ecclesiastes 9, because I do think there's a flow of thought that continues. The beginning of chapter 9, we talked about the necessity of faith, because it doesn't matter if you're righteous or unrighteous, wise or unwise, all of it's in God's hand. He's in control, so trust Him. And yet, as you trust God with this necessity of faith, there is a certainty of death. Death will come one day. And and at times, it seems really hard because it seems like, well, why did that person have to die? They, They were living for God. They were doing their best. And over here, here's the wicked. And they seem to persist. And he touched, moved from the necessity of faith to the certainty of death. But he reminded us that if you're still alive, third, we looked at the opportunity of life. There is hope while you are alive. There is reason to live. There is reason to trust God and to enjoy God. You remember verses 7 to 10? It's like whatever you do in these simple activities, in your marriage, in everything, put your energy and enjoy what God has given. But coming out of that last week, as we got to verses 11 and 12, we looked at the uncertainty of the results While we try to trust God, believe Him, enjoy the life that He's given, we came to realize that the fastest don't always win, the strongest aren't always victorious, the wisest aren't always satisfied, the smartest aren't always wealthy, the skilled aren't always appreciated. I mean, that's verses 11 and 12. Like, you can't say, God, I put in my time, now you owe me. In His sovereignty, different results happen. It points us back to the necessity of faith. We then went to the irony of values that wisdom is very good, but wisdom isn't always valued. Right? There's this man who's an insignificant person in an insignificant place who has an incredible problem because there's this king who's coming against this city to invade. And yet, this poor, wise man delivers the city, amazing rescue, and he's forgotten. Who cares about wisdom? Let's move on with life. We're good. And we've been looking then finally at the end of Ecclesiastes 9 at the fact that there is a superiority to wisdom. Even though it's not always valued, it's not always recognized, it's not always appreciated, wisdom is good. Wisdom is superior. We said it's better than strength. It's better than weapons of war. Yes, it might be ignored. Yes, it might be unappreciated. Yes, it might be quiet and not loud. But wisdom is what we are to pursue. It is superior. It is best. Having looked at the necessity of faith, the certainty of death, the opportunity of life, the uncertainty of results, the irony of values, the superiority of wisdom, he ends with the gravity of sin. The gravity of sin. We'll adjust our outline a little bit this morning, and we'll call that gravity of sin a serious caution before then getting into chapter 10 and looking at a stark contrast. The serious caution is given as a principle here at the end of verse 18 in chapter 9. One sinner destroyeth much good. One sinner destroyeth much good. He's pointed out, Solomon's pointed out, that the entire town overlooked This insignificant wise man who rescued. And now he points to the reality that destruction doesn't take a multitude. Destruction takes one person. It takes one sinner. Again, I alluded to it in the introduction, but I'll just point it out again to us now that this word ought to jump out to us as he begins to talk about a sinner. Because we've been talking about the wise and the foolish. We've been talking in different terms, but I believe what he's doing doing for us is reminding us, here's where foolishness ends. Here's where foolishness takes us. Like, well, it might not be the best decision, but who really cares? He's like, no, you end up in sin. Stay away from it. It's dangerous. It is not the right choice. In fact, it's interesting that he uses the word destroys here. He's just talked about a, a powerful king trying to invade a, a city and the wise men protecting that city. But now he says, you know what destroys? And he's not pointing to some invading king. He's talking about choices that we make when we disobey God and say, sin is what destroys. It, it's not just minor damage. It's catastrophic undoing of what is good. It follows a statement where he's talked about the weapons of war and said, wisdom is better than the weapons of war. But you know what you got to watch out for? Sin. One sinner destroys much good. It is a stark reminder to us that sin is serious. It's not just some little thing that we don't have to worry about. Lying is a big deal. Anger is devastating. Our words can be very destructive. They can fail the Ephesians 429 test. I mean, he's going to come back to words here in just a little bit in the chapter. We'll get there near the end of our time this morning. Lust, it imprisons, right? I mean, if you're in the church's Bible reading plan, yesterday you read Proverbs 5, and he paints a picture at the beginning of Proverbs 5 about what lust does, and it's it's that wisdom foolish thing. And he's like, there's places you need to stay away from because if you give in to lust, here's the end result. Sin destroys much good, right? You look at that passage in Proverbs 5. He says, your honor is gone. Your strength is gone. Your wealth is gone because of a sinful choice. Selfishness destroys. And we can keep going down the sin list, if you will. Disobedience to parents. And on and on it goes. One sinner destroys much good. We would do well to be on guard against sin. We understand we're not going to live perfectly. We we learned that in 1 John 1, not too long ago. We cannot say we have no sin because if we do, we lie, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. But when we do sin, we should confess our sin. Because God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't miss the caution that's given here. Yes, pursue the superiority of wisdom, but be reminded of this uh, gravity of sin in light of the serious caution at the end of chapter 9. Beyond the principle about the gravity of sin, this caution, let's look at the picture coming into chapter 10, verse 1. It's a stark picture. Probably caught you as we were reading it. Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savour. So doth the little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honour. He paints this picture like let a small fly land in your perfumer lotion. It gets kind of stuck there. It dies. It begins to decay, and what used to smell good is now ruined. There's probably some men in the room who are like, yeah, but with that particular smell, it's great if it's ruined. Throw it in the trash. That one smells bad anyway. But he paints a picture here, a very vivid picture to go, look, it's it's just something that flew in and it died. I don't know how you are with the smell thing. Like I try to be one of those people who's like, yeah, we're going to eat the leftovers and all that. But my wife knows. She comes to me like, I- I'm not sure. This has been there a while. Would you smell this? I'm like, nope, I'm out. Like, I don't do the smell test. Maybe you're good with that. But the, the, the thought of something where I'm like, like, I don't want to smell something like that. Let's not, if, if, that's, if we have to get to that level to investigate whether it's okay, when in doubt, don't. There's three choices at the beginning illustration. Maybe you're somewhere down in two or three. On that one, I'm at one. Never, right? He's saying here, look, when, when we let just a little bit of sin in there, it can ruin everything. But he returns back to the illustration of folly, right? Just, just a little bit of folly. Well, come on, it's not that big of a deal. Having just said a sinner destroys much good, now presenting this picture of this fly dying in the lotion and spoiling it, or the ointment and spoiling it, he comes back and goes, you know, if, if there's just a little foolishness there the guy who had a great reputation for making the right decisions living in the fear of god receiving the honor that goes with that destroys it all because of just a little folly i mean think again about what proverbs will say we just stay with proverbs like what's the danger in one lie proverbs speaks to that what's the danger in one drink what's the danger in one bed one night, in today's world we could say one click, thinking illustratively today in the scary world we live in, one pill, and to realize, you know, it's just one thing, one explosive argument relationally, just a little, there is a serious caution in the text here against sin, but even beyond being just against sin, against foolishness, going, you know how much can be unraveled because of a foolish decision? But again, we are still made of flesh. We need to be on guard. I use the illustration because usually I'm, I'm very prone to, like, I see an email come in, like, da-da-da, like, nope, delete. Like, I don't do the sweepstakes thing. I, I'm like, I'm on guard. And yet I looked and I went, oh, it's Cabela's. No, it's not. Right? Duped. But when it comes to sin, it's not just duped, it's then destruction. It wreaks havoc in our lives. Beyond the serious caution, let's look secondly at a stark contrast. As the text continues to unfold, he paints a dichotomy between wisdom and folly. He's going to paint a dichotomy between, here's what wisdom looks like, here's what foolishness looks like in our walk, or first in our will, we'll say, then in our walk, then in our words, and then finally in our work. We're not going to get to work till next week. I know some of you had to teach Romans 9 to 11 this morning. We're not even going to make it through Ecclesiastes 10 this morning. All right, we'll get like halfway through. Let's look first at a stark contrast in will. Verse 2. A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart at his left. It's one of the verses we could dive in and go like, well, what exactly is he saying there? The point is really simple, right? He's going, wisdom goes this way, and foolishness goes this way. They're headed in completely different directions, and here's the reason why. It's in their heart. They're bent differently as you'll see the text unfold, you'll realize that wisdom says, I want to pursue God. I'm going to deny myself and pursue him. Whereas on the other hand, foolishness is like, how do I live for me? How do I tell others about me? How do I make work easy for me? And so he's just saying in their will, in their hearts, there is a distinction. You know, one author, one preacher has well said, we all live out of our hearts. It represents Proverbs 4.23, where Solomon told us, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. We live out of our heart. So what we desire inside is going to come out on the outside. That's why we need God to change our hearts through salvation in Jesus Christ. To be a new creature, to want to live differently because of what God has done, is going to change the way that we speak. I mean, Jesus himself, Matthew twelve thirty four, told us, it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. And we'll get there where Solomon says, here's what it looks like. And so he begins by painting this stark contrast in will. Secondly, let's look at this stark contrast in walk, verses 3 through 11. This stark contrast in walk in verses 3 through 11. We begin with the obvious identification of a fool in verse 3. The obvious identification of a fool. He says, Yea, also, when he that is a fool walketh by the way, his wisdom faileth him. And he saith to everyone that he is a fool. Again, you think with me in the book of Proverbs, we have people presented, and they're kind of walking through life, and they're led astray, and they're presented as the simple, or as the fool, or as the scorner. And like You're watching the catastrophic results of them just living life the way they think they ought to live. Solomon here is saying, here's this man, he's, he's just walking around, but he's a fool. He's not living in fear of God. He doesn't have wisdom. It fails him. And so what's the result? those looking from the outside would be like, that guy's nuts. That guy's a fool, right? If you were with me yesterday and saw me come around the corner and take that ticket and start looking, you're like, come on, Dan, you know better. Don't do that. Maybe you'd have been right there with me. I don't know, okay? This is far more important than that little ticket. It's like the person who goes through life without a life-orienting reverence for God, a fear of him that is the foundation of wisdom, everybody around him can go, that person's a fool because it's clear in their walk. It's clear in how they conduct life. You can look at their work and see foolishness, perhaps because they're lazy, according to Proverbs. You can listen to their words. They're proud, cutting, harmful words. You can look at their relationships and go, man, they're naive, they're simple. You can look at how they handle authority, which is where Solomon's going to go here in just a moment related to the wise. and Realize, well, the fool is just someone who's a mocker. Can't live under authority. Always has an opinion to share. We could go so many different directions, but a fool is obviously identified by their walk. Secondly, let's look at the distinct instruction to the wise. Within their walk, let's look at the distinct instruction to the wise. Again, it's interesting to me how the spirit of God through Solomon presents these things here because he sort of just describes the walk of a fool third person. But when it comes to the wise, we shift to the first person. And it's not a description as much as it is instruction. Like, hey, you want to be different than what I just described, what it looks like? Here's how you need to live, how you need to respond. And so we come to verse 4, where he says, If the spirit of the ruler rise up against you, leave not thy place, for yielding pacifieth great offenses. It goes again in a unique direction. It's not the first time we hit this. We saw this back in chapter 8, not all that long ago, as well. So he gives this distinct instruction to the wise. We could say it this way leaders can be unpredictable and irrational. So respond wisely. Like, hey, as you're going through life, understand that those in control aren't always predictable. They don't always make good decisions. In fact, they can be irrational. But you make sure that as you pursue wisdom, you respond wisely. Similar to what we saw in chapter 8, verse 3, leaders can get upset. Don't respond in kind. Leaders can get upset. It's like, don't give them a piece of your mind, say, I'm out and leave. He's saying, exercise patience. Patience. When we were there in chapter eight, we talked about it as reacting slowly. We live in a world it's like, no, you need to let your voice be heard. Get it out there. It's like, no, respond and react slowly, wisely, be careful. He encourages the initial response here in the text to be one of sticking it out, staying. Trying to work through it. It'll remind us even when we get in our study in Romans, a couple weeks from now, Romans 13, as to how God in the New Testament tells us, whether you're in Romans 13 or 1 Peter 2, how you respond to authority. Very similarly, Proverbs, Solomon wrote in Proverbs 16, verse 14, the wrath of a king is as messengers of death. This is not good when the leader is angry. Watch out! But here's what the second part of the verse says, but a wise man will pacify it. It's that similar idea to Proverbs 15.1, very familiar to many of you, a soft answer, turneth away wrath. Rather than upping the ante, seek to calm the situation down. Saying Leaders can be predictable. They can be irrational. In fact, he illustrates it in verses 5 through 7. He's like, doesn't always make sense what they're doing. He's like, I've seen an error that proceeds from a ruler. He takes a foolish person, sets him in a great position. Like, here's my friend. Let's put him here. He's like, that guy's a fool. But now he's in a position of authority and influence. And he continues to say, the rich sit in a low place. I've seen servants upon horses, princes walking as servants upon the earth. He's like, things are just turned upside down. It seems wrong as the fool ends up in power. His simple point is, act in wisdom, be calm, yield. You don't need to make a show, get out of there, in spite of the irrational, unpredictable leader. As the text continues, this instruction to the wise, to live differently, says leaders can be rational and unpredictable, respond wisely. Secondly, life can be unpredictable and painful. Live wisely. Life, not just leaders, but there are all kinds of situations where life can be unpredictable and painful. I would guess many of you, like me, had someone as an adult tell you, you know, you're doing yard work and you've got that rock rake, that hard rake, and like, hey, when you set that down, put the fingers those points, face down. I don't know if that's the voice of experience or just wisdom over the years uh, where people are like, hey, don't set that up because you step on that. It's coming back at you. We get a similar idea from Solomon. He's like, hey, someone who digs a pit, they can fall into it. Maybe we think of it this way in kind of our modern terms because not many of us spend a lot of time digging holes. But you ever set something down and you should know that you set it down? You should know that it's there? And you turn around and knock it over, or have it knock you over. God, like, like accidents do happen, is kind of the point of the text here. Accidents happen. Life is unpredictable and painful. Live wisely because accidents happen. You dig a pit, you can fall into it. The, the person who breaks a hedge, a serpent shall bite him. Right. I, I had a vivid picture in my mind. Like I haven't broken down many hedges, but I have moved wood piles. And, you know, I'm at that point where I'm a little cautious when you start to move the wood that's been there for a while. Particularly in Pennsylvania. I didn't have this problem growing up in suburban Chicago. Like, our yards were small enough. Snakes weren't there. We got snakes out here. And you move that wood. You see that snake. I don't like snakes. I'm out of there. I'm going to find the shovel. Right? It's like, hey, you start tearing down this old rock wall. Watch out. You're ready to get bit life's unpredictable it can be painful accidents happen whether you're digging a hole whether you're breaking down a wall there's jobs where injuries are risk you're the guy who is the stone cutter you're the guy who is the logger kind of the next pictures that are painted you get down to verse 11 you're the guy who's the tamer of snakes you better watch out like you don't want to mess with these animals these things Again, we, we realize this because we go into workplaces and it's like, hey, where's your hard hat? Where's your safety glasses? This is an at risk job. And um, some of us have to learn by experience that no, you know, it's really a good idea to put those things on, as annoying as they might be, because they're there for your protection. You say life is unpredictable, it's painful. It doesn't matter your occupation or your situation, accidents happen. He does make a little statement in here where we could also say attention helps. Like, pay attention. Right? He paints what we would go, yeah, that makes sense. A common picture in verse 10, we're having talked about the guy who's cutting wood, who's in danger of the wood. We're told, hey, if the iron's blunt and you don't take time to sharpen your ax, you've got to use a whole lot more effort. you got to swing harder and harder because you didn't just, take the time to stop and sharpen the axe. And he's like, just this little statement stuck in in the midst of the fact that, hey, things are unpredictable. You can fall in a hole, right? Uh, You can uh, find a snake when you're tearing down the wall. Uh, It is dangerous if you cut stones. It's dangerous if you cut wood. He's like, by the way, wisdom's profitable to direct. Like, it might be a good idea just to stop and sharpen the axe. Wisdom seeks to live differently. It seeks to pay attention to where needs are. Wisdom, we could say from a New Testament standpoint, walks circumspectly. and goes, this is a danger to watch out for. This could be helped if I'll just stop and give attention to it. The ax needs to be sharpened, whereas folly just persists on. People are like, hey, why don't you, why don't you stop? Take it easy. Like, we we can solve this. I'm going to keep going. Wisdom is not only different in its will and its walk. Third, wisdom is different in its words. Wisdom is different in its words. Verses 12 through 14. He touched on both their quantity, we could say, and their quality. Let's look first at the quality of their words between the wise and the foolish in verse 12. The quality of the words are described this way. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool will swallow up himself. Again, this is part of that stark contrast to go, you want to see what it looks like in living color? Just listen to what they say. Wisdom is beneficial to the wise man and to others in the way that he speaks. This idea of gracious has a reciprocal benefit to go, as he speaks in wisdom, it's benefiting him, and it's benefiting the one who listens. I won't forsake of time this morning, go to Proverbs, but again, over and over and over, we're told, here's what happens for the tongue of the wise, it's health, it strengthens the bones, it is marked by kindness, it is a tree or fountain of life, That's what happens for wisdom. It is beneficial to him and those around him. But then he changes that and says, but for the lips of a fool, it swallows up himself. It actually hurts him. He may not see it in a moment. He's out there thinking he's advancing his cause. He's promoting himself. But in the long run, it is bringing about destruction. It's bringing about harm just ask you maybe from a New Testament perspective to consider these thoughts and say, do your words bring help? Do my words bring help? I find it helpful to think about both Ephesians chapter 4 and Colossians chapter 4 to ask myself, are they marked by grace? Are our words marked by grace? ask ourselves maybe conversely in light of Proverbs, are the critical, judgmental, proud, condescending? You know, using our words rightly here and the quality of our words requires constant attention. No one in here has this mastered. Nobody. Like, you can walk away with maybe two primary thoughts of application. One, sin is very serious, stay away from it. Number two, make sure you're not a fool in what you say. We're covering more than that. But you're like, Pastor, I I, I think I got my words under control. Just again, think James 3, right? How many people tame the tongue in James 3? One, it's you. No. The tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therewith, bless we God. And they're with men who are made after the similitude of God. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Right? So we're reminded that the quality of our word shows, am I living in wisdom or am I living in foolishness? One other verse along these lines, Proverbs 18, I think says it well in verse 7. A fool's mouth is his destruction. Very similar to what Solomon says here. Fool's mouth is his destruction. His lips are the snare of his soul, right? I think there are points where we all get that and go, man, I wish I hadn't said that. Got myself in a world of trouble, created problems for myself. Wish I wouldn't have said that. Wisdom's not only different in its will, its walk. We're looking at its words. We've talked about the quality of their words. Secondly, look at the quantity of words in verses 13 and 14 in these verses we sort of kind of focus in further we zoom in further just on the fool he keeps talking it says verse 13 here's how it works in conversation with the fool the beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness and the end of his talk is mischievous madness we might summarize it this way what starts out as just silly and kind of foolish ends up in insanity like, it just gets worse and worse and worse. He's digging his own hole. And people around him would just say, just stop. You ever been there before? I would guess many of us, if we really stopped and thought about it and we're honest, have been there. Maybe it's a story, and you kind of one-up the story, and then one-up the story. And you're like, you know, it's time to stop. Maybe along with that, it's a lie. And that that lie begets another lie, and that lie begets another lie, and that lie begets another lie, and pretty soon you're ensnared. You're trapped in lies, not knowing who you told what to and what the way out looks like, other than to go, How about the truth? How about repentance? Here's the way it works in the quantity of their words. It starts out as foolishness, but by the end of his talking, it is so ludicrous, it is just mischievous madness. This is the guy who's going to be heard. He's going to get his point across. He's going to have the best story. He has to be believed. And then we come to verse 14. A fool also is full of words. He's got the answer. He's got something to say. And again, maybe just as a quick aside, I, I do believe we live in a culture that just wants you to talk wants you to express yourself, wants you to get your opinion out there. Saying, hey, a fool is full of words. Proverbs will admonish us, you know, a wise man keeps his mouth. fool also is full of words. A man I can, cannot tell what shall be, what shall be after him. Who can tell him? The, the, the fool is the guy who's going to keep talking about what he does not know and cannot know. No one knows what happens afterwards. So be careful of the quantity of words and predicting the future and speculating about what's ahead. That's foolishness. Wisdom lives differently, distinctly. There's a stark contrast in the text. Wisdom lives differently in its desire and its heart. And flowing from that, then it's different in its walk and how it engages authority and how it engages the accidents that happen. But finally, wisdom for today, finally. Wisdom is different in its words. Watch out for folly. Right? We're on guard about those phishing scams, whether it's a phone call or an email or something in the mail going, is this legitimate? Is this really from my bank? Right? Are they really looking out for my good? And Proverbs is saying, hey, watch out for foolishness. Be on guard. Stay away from sin. It quickly destroys But wisdom is better. Wisdom is found in fearing God. Wisdom is found in obeying Him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you take the thoughts from your word that we've looked at this morning and use them to personally challenge each believer here where challenge is needed. To help us to be on guard against the destructive nature of foolishness and ultimately how it leads to sin. And instead to pursue wisdom saying we have this reverence for you that orients all of life, seeks to enjoy what you've given, to trust and believe you, and shows up by making decisions that we believe are lined up with your word and obedient to you. Lord, I pray that you protect each of us here from the danger of folly, from the destruction of sin. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We'll sing one final time for this morning. Pastor King, if you'd come.